0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. To start the new year, let's hear the message of a psalm that is meant to specifically help us be grateful to our great God. This psalm is a hymn written by David in which he speaks to himself Bless the Lord, O my soul. Since it's also a hymn, it's meant to be sung by a congregation of God's people. So what exactly happens then when we read or sing it? It allows each individual in the congregation to speak truth to themselves. David is admonishing his own heart and mind. To do what? To bless the Lord, which means here to praise the Lord, especially to speak well of the Lord for his abundant generosity. Now, why would someone who belongs to the Lord want to speak well of the Lord and praise him? That's not a dumb question. We do it so many times without thinking about what we're doing. The main reason is because David and those who really belong to the Lord should and will want to always be grateful for all that God has done for them, and that's a great way to start out a new year. We often drift off into our own selfish self-centeredness and think we're entirely capable of managing our own affairs without needing to depend on God for anything. Although, if you haven't learned a lesson that says that doesn't work so well from 2020, you, I don't think, are on this planet. We may acknowledge him some during the week, but how often do we continue to elevate ourselves and our opinions and our decisions to the place of authority that only God deserves to fill? David's life was very messy full of both times of faith and dependence and also times of selfish desires and disastrous decisions. We could say very honestly that he had to learn the hard way over and over again, how his own overconfidence and compromise led to sins great and small. Yet David's heart was inclined to the Lord because of God's work in him. This king of Israel came to know the Lord's mercy and steadfast love throughout his life in deeper and deeper ways. Now what we have here in Psalm 103 is David cataloging the goodness of God by listing a bunch of the Lord's blessings. And why does he do this? So that in moments of depression, or backsliding, he wouldn't forget the source of his thriving and blessings and take God for granted. John Stott writes, we have here the authentic utterance of a redeemed child of God who piles up words to express his gratitude to the God of grace. To bless or praise the Lord is a huge part of the main attitude that we need to truly worship God. Remember, in order to truly worship, the necessary attitude is gratitude. This psalm leads us into worshiping God for what he has done and is doing for his people. This psalm, as many of you know, has been very special to many in this body over the years. And it's easy to see why. If you've already discovered it, then today should be like returning to a very special place. If you haven't yet discovered this psalm's richness, then I hope you'll be drawn into its truth and beauty and encouragement so that you will want to go back here often. If you're able, would you please stand as I read Psalm 103 from the English Standard Version? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is with within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear him as far as the east is from the west so far does he remove our transgressions from us as a father shows compassion to his children so the lord shows compassion to those who fear him for he knows our frame he remembers that we are dust as for man his days are like grass He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all bless the lord O you his angels you mighty ones who do his word obeying the voice of his word bless the lord all his hosts his ministers who do his will bless the lord all his works in all places of his dominion bless the lord O my soul this is the word of the lord Thanks be to God. may be seated. The flow of this psalm is really very simple. There's three main parts. The first part, David is adamant that nothing in him, no part of him, would hold out on blessing the Lord. We see that in verse 1, especially, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. The second part, he tells himself that the most crucial part of being able to bless the Lord is not to forget all of God's benefits. And we see that in verse 2, especially, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. And then the third part is really in the rest of the psalm. David lists many of these benefits or blessings. In verses 3 through 5, David explains what he means by God's benefits. And then in verses 6 through 18, David gives insights into who God really is and what he's really like. Including assurances about God's steadfast love. So, how should we, as God's redeemed people, bless or praise and worship our God? As we've already heard, David knows his attitude toward God must be gratitude. It's obvious that he's not just going through the motions here, this is not superficial. He wants to give it everything he's got. And he says it this way, all that is within him. It's not hard to see if this hits home in our own hearts. Just ask yourself if you've made all that is within you available this morning to speak well of and bless, praise the Lord, for his abundant generosity? And if not, why not? Is your body here but your mind and heart somewhere else? And then what do you need to do to rouse yourself to get ready as David describes? Jonathan Edwards has a really interesting take on this and the use of a specific word. He believed that there's no true worship that does not touch what he called the affections. Affections. What do you mean by that? Well, listen to this distinguishing mark. Are we affected or unaffected when honoring God? That's what he meant. In Matthew 15, 7-8, Jesus quotes from Isaiah 29 and says, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So David wrote this psalm to preach to himself what he knew he needed to remember. David used this psalm, wrote it, to preach to himself what he knew he needed to remember. Why? So that he would be able to grow in gratefulness and so worship God with his whole being. So then we see that David gives the reasons for why we should bless or praise and worship God. What are the reasons that David gives here? The big answer is in verse 2, because of all of his benefits. And in verses 3 through 5, David lists what he means by God's benefits. He lists five benefits, five big ones. The first is in the first part of verse 3. He forgives all your iniquity. Now, those of you that are familiar, even the children in here, if you know about David's life, why do you think this is first on David's list? It's pretty obvious, is it not? When he fell, he fell pretty hard. This is our greatest need. So it's the greatest gift that God can give to us to be forgiven of all our iniquity. And it came at such a cost, did it not, as God sent his own son and gave his son over to death on a cross to be able to give us this forgiveness. David says that all our iniquity all our sins are forgiven past present and future you might want to note here that some of these statements that david says these big reasons here at the beginning of this psalm are reiterated later in a different way in this first case we see if you look down to verse 12 as far as the east is from the west so far we remove our transgressions from us. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. Now, I remember as a kid when I first heard the answer to this, like, "What? well, what is that exactly? And this is pretty amazing. If you go east, you'll never be going west. And if you go west, you'll never be going east. But if you go north... After you pass through the North Pole, you'll then be going what direction? South. So David uses something here that is a great way to describe something infinite. In other words, there's an infinite, unmeasurable distance between us and our sins. This is such an unforgettable way to remember the extent or the scope of God's forgiveness. And every single one of us in here this morning needs to remember this. The second benefit he gives is in is next in verse 3, he heals all your diseases. Now, it should be obvious that this verse has been the centerpiece of much misunderstanding, especially in some systems of theology that stress what is called Healing in the atonement, meaning that if we've been saved from sin by Christ, we have been healed or have a right to be healed of any and all physical afflictions, too. Frankly, this is really bad theology because it's simply not true that those who have been forgiven for sin are spared or have a right to be spared of all diseases. It should be obvious. Everybody dies of something. So what does it mean? The best explanation is simply that all of our diseases or sicknesses will be healed ultimately when we are finally with the Lord in the eternal state. Our bodies will be resurrected from the grave and we will be body and soul together again. But this time, for forever, our new body and sinless soul will not be affected by sin when there won't be any sin. Remember that sin is what brought death to all human beings in the first place. The main reason why the scriptures exhort us to look with eyes of faith to what is ahead is precisely because we are way too rooted to where we are now. It's where we are, it's a good reason, but we overdo it if we do not pay attention to what God has promised us will be our state forever and ever. The third benefit is in verse 4, redeems your life from the pit. David faced death many times. And what he's now probably saying is that since he's still here, since he was still alive after all these near-death experiences, starting in his youth, since he's still here, it's only because God has redeemed him by sparing him from death. That little twist makes this completely understandable. Being grateful to God for still being alive, he also knows he'll be rescued from Sheol and taken to heaven, which is a comforting and exciting thought. That gives you a way to look at last year, if you haven't been paying attention, and to this year. If you're still here, It's because God wants you still here. The fourth benefit is in the next part of verse 4. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. And this benefit means so much to David that he goes back to it a bunch of times in this psalm. In verses 8 and in verse 11... And in verse 17, which I'll read over again in just a minute. But first, steadfast love, chesed, is something that we've seen and explained many times over the years. Back in 2016, we saw this word used in 2 Samuel 7 15 through 16, when God promised that his steadfast love would not depart from David's son. And that David's throne would be established forever. Pointing, of course, to Christ being the anointed one. Now David mentions this again near the end of 2 Samuel in a song recounting his life. And both of these uses of of God's steadfast love refer to God's promised love being strong and steadfast, and enduring, and here's the key, in spite of infidelity, human infidelity, or any circumstance. That's why it's so special. And quite a few of David's descendant kings manifested extremely evil behavior and had to be severely disciplined. But God's steadfast love would remain steadfast to do what? To accomplish his sovereign purpose. Especially to bring the Redeemer into the world to save sinners through this line. God's purposes are so much beyond us that sometimes we can't see past the nose on our face in regard to these kind of things. David, too. That's why he's speaking to to himself the truth of God's word. Now, we have to understand the other side of this coin, too. If God's promise had depended on human fidelity, it would have been doomed from the start. Do we understand that? If God's promise had depended on us, human fidelity, it would have been doomed from the start. David recognized this truth, so God's steadfast love, really it should be this way for all of us, is very, very special to him. first time this really sunk in and hit to me, I went through the Bible and marked, colored, whatever, every usage of steadfast love, which is the English Standard Version translation of chesed, in the whole Bible. Old Testament and then in the New Testament another word was used in its place. It's amazing how much God has communicated that in his word. And we see that in verses 8, 11, and 17. Let me read those verses again. Verse 8, we're linking about steadfast love. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in what? Steadfast love. Am I grateful for that? verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Am I grateful for that? And also in verse 17, But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. We say a lot of times that if God says the same thing a couple of times in a a smaller passage that he's really making an exclamation point out of it. Well, what do you think about his usage of steadfast love here? There are a couple of psalms where it's almost in every verse We need to pay attention to this. We need to believe this. It's motivation for being able to worship with a grateful heart and deal with what's going on in our hearts. Did you notice, both in verse 11 and 17, that God's steadfast love is toward or on those who fear him? which is another way of saying that this is only for true believers. So what kind of fear is he talking about here? This means that you worship and serve the Lord in loving awe and reverence. This attitude towards God allows you to recognize and appreciate the faithful and generous, loyal and merciful, steadfast love of the Lord. You can run to seek protection and blessing and peace to him. In other words, this attitude allows us to truly worship. It allows us to recognize the benefits that he's given us, which seem to disappear when we get on our own track. Just willfully, I'm doing it this way. I don't care what God thinks about it right now. It's a guard, it's a protection, it's motivation. So no matter what you are facing right now, the Lord's steadfast love is always there for his own adopted children. It is God's covenant love for his chosen people that he saved and made a part of his family. In verses 13 and 14, add another dimension to this incredible benefit of God. David goes at this from every direction. He writes here, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. How does that strike you? In verses 15 and 16, we see more of what God knows about our condition. And so why God's compassion is so needed and why it should be so appreciated. As for man... His days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it. Boy, that hits Amarillo. And it's gone. And its place knows it no more. This is reality. We should not be depressed after a year of having to face reality in many new ways. Science cannot solve everything. Yes, it, be, it should be pursued. Man's ways will not end up doing fill-in-the-blank, always. All those things are, can be blessings from the Lord to learn and grow in and protect and figure out he's wired us that way. But to get those things the ultimate authority in our lives and depend on them and go nuts when something fails that we thought would work, that doesn't work. What about God's mercy? David appreciated God's mercy to him because he had no illusions about his need for God's mercy. What about us? Do we just ask for mercy when we're at the end of our rope or do we realize how much we need his mercy? Grace is getting what you do not deserve. Mercy is not getting What you do deserve. And there's a difference there. And that's why many times those words are used together. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. So first you've got to have the reality. The fifth benefit in verse 5. Satisfies you with good. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Some of you are going, oh good. All this stuff about The, the, everything falling apart, it's not, it's not going to... He really is promising us. Okay, let's, let's see what this means. What God does is not just rescue us from the pit. It says he satisfies us with good. What does this mean? Well, answer this question. What good things has God brought into your life? If you made a list... Would it take an index cord or about five or six pages or 20? What good things has God brought into your life? Are you answering this question differently now than you would have answered it five to ten years ago? There are many things in our lives that non-Christians would agree are really good. Like work and love and food and shelter and warmth and clothes and friends and the list goes on and on and on and on. But what tough things in life have you gone through or you're going through right now? that you now recognize as being times in which you saw God work, or you're seeing God work, and reveal himself in ways that you never thought possible. Would you have learned those things from God if you never went through tough stuff? The answer is no, you would not. Are these tough things then good? This one thought, this one question can change your life, especially if you're a half-empty, cup-filled person. As you realize this truth, do you see your youth renewed like the eagles? What is he talking about? In other words, is your inner person becoming stronger? Even as your outer person, your body is starting to deteriorate? Why? Because we accept where God has put us, the state of man. We're not going to last forever. But if the inside of us is seeing more of who God is and realizing how compassionate and merciful and gracious he is through anything tough, and those tough things could be said, that's how you can thank God for them because you've come to know God better in and through them, no matter how hard they are. This morning I texted my sister-in-law. She's the duck person. And seven years ago today, her husband died suddenly. And we all... It was a Friday. I never will forget it. Marty and I cried all day long. And as you can tell, we kind of still do because he is missed. He was a force of nature. A force in a good way. And so I told her Marty had just gotten back and that she had missed her so much and it was really neat that they got to be together. And also they're praying for her on this day, because she, all her family, and I'm thinking hundreds and hundreds of friends and people that worked with Louie, remember this day. And it's tough. And yet at the same time, she proclaimed God's peace. If you love deeply, you will grieve deeply. And yet there's still what? The hope that is promised. And we have that. And God's peace becomes a part of us that we never realized was so great before. So I already had a taste of this again this morning. And it was good. The God that David is worshiping, the God that he wants the congregation to be blessing, they bless him. He desires that we know him today We would bless him and praise him for who he really is and what he's really like. And it sure sounded like that in our singing. Let's read verses 6 through 13 in closing today to see just how gracious and merciful he is. When you read all this together, after we see what David is doing, it packs a special punch. So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Let's pray. Oh God, as we begin this new year with a lot of the same challenges and some that may be quite different, open our eyes and hearts to grow in understanding you and how compassionate, And merciful and gracious, you really are with us. May we honor you in our day-to-day lives and reflect the light of Christ throughout 2021, both individually and together as your church. May we trust your spirit to empower us as we love you and one another, and as we go forward. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand for our benediction?